Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Merry Christmas to all of you. It's so good to be in God's house with you. Just a moment ago, I was reading for you a whole list of names from Matthew chapter 1. And as I was doing that, if I were sitting in your place, I would have been thinking to myself, what in the world is that guy doing? Why is he reading all these names? I don't even know all the names of my cousins that well. How, why is he, why, what is the deal with this? I came here to hear the Christmas story, not to go through roll call. What is this? Well, hopefully it made sense at the end when we got to the final bit where we learned that this is the list of names of Jesus' earthly ancestors. It's his family tree. This is not a random list of names. At this church at St. Peter and Paul, over the last four weeks in the season of Advent, preparing for this day, we've been asking the question, who is Jesus? And, and each week, getting to know him a little bit better by his relation to these people in this list. And so over the last four weeks, we have learned that Jesus is the son of David, which means he is our king. Jesus is the son of Abraham, which means he's our sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the son of Solomon, which means he finishes up for us when we fail. And Jesus is the son of Mary, our savior from sins, Emmanuel, God with us. If you aren't a member of Saints Peter and Paul, or, or if you missed any of those services and you want to catch up and see what we've been doing during the season of Advent, all of our sermons are recorded. They're, they're hosted on our website or our church app. You can follow up with that as you see fit. But when you read through this list of names, there's something that all of these people have in common, except for the one right in the middle. If you can see Jesus, his name is right in the middle. Everybody that's listed on this tree has something in common except for Jesus. It's not their nationality. It's, it's not that they have the same favorite color. It's not even that they are related to Jesus. That's not what they have in common, not what I want you to pay attention to. What I want you to hear tonight is that all the people that are listed in this name, that list of names, except for Jesus, have one thing in common, is that they are sinners. They are sinners. Tonight, what we hear, what we learn about Jesus, is that Jesus is the son of sinners. Jesus is the son of sinners. But what is sin? I think it's good for us to ask that question. Because as we live in this world and we hear all sorts of voices, I would say there's a lack of clarity and unanimity in this world about what sin is. The world in which we live, and when I say that, I mean the world that doesn't believe in Jesus, or, or at least the world that doesn't hold Jesus up as any sort of real authority figure, the world. In the world, the world still certainly has feelings, strong feelings, about what seems to be appropriate behavior and inappropriate behavior. The world, even that doesn't believe in Jesus, still calls things out for being wrong. But there's a lack of clarity and consistency with how the world does that. I see it all the time. When I watch news stories, or even more prevalently on social media, I see people all the time calling things out calling things out, whether it be that, the, that they think the issue is unethical or unjust or societally unacceptable, 
people will still say, that's wrong, you're wrong, and most people aren't too nice about how they call these things out. The world is inconsistent. People are inconsistent with their definitions of what right and wrong is. So what is this thing called sin, according to biblical definitions? According to the Bible, according to Christian teaching, sin is the opposite of God's desires. Plain and simple, if God has a desire and you do the opposite of it, you are, by definition, sinning. God is perfect. And when God created, he created things perfectly. And he desires his people to be perfect. Therefore, if you do anything short of perfection, you are, by definition, sinning. You and I sin when we do things that are wrong. When we do things, when we commit acts that go against God's desires, we sin. Even, the scriptures say, if we think the thoughts of sin, before we even do them, we still commit sin in our hearts. (laughs) Try to escape this one. There are sins that we do that we commit, and there are sins that we do by things that we omit. When we don't do the things that God wants us to do, when we neglect to help our neighbor in need, when we turn our head as our coworkers are gossiping about our other coworkers and we don't stand in defense and speak well of people, we commit sins by omission by not doing what God would desire us to do. In addition to the sins that we commit and the sins that we omit, there are simply sins that happen in this world. And some of those sins happen because of our contribution to it, but also because sin is present in this world, this world lives in a fallen state. And because this world lives in a fallen state, things don't go right. Relationships break, finances crumble, bodies get sick, and ultimately the final consequence of sin is death. For the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Frankly, we could boil it down and say this. Sin is when we mess up, and sin messes things up. Sin is when we do things to mess it up, and frankly, just because sin is present, it just messes things up. Let me give you a couple of examples or metaphors for how sin affects our lives. My sinful life is like a bumpy road. Imagine driving down a bumpy road, one of the backcountry roads here in the UP. What does it feel like to drive down a bumpy road? It's not comfortable. Your jaw jammers. Your teeth chatter. Every once in a while your head bounces up and hits the ceiling. And then if you're a passenger in the car, you get to that one smooth spot and you're really thirsty and you think, well, now's the right time to take a drink. And all of a sudden you hit a bigger bump, you chip your tooth, the the drink goes flying everywhere. So it is with sin. When we are on the path of life, sin brings into our lives bumps. Things don't go right. Driving down this path of life is uncomfortable. It's painful. Frankly, it's even messy. My sinful life is like an onion. It has many layers to it. And just as you peel apart an onion, so does sin to my life. 
Sin separates me. Separates me from God, from one another, from what I'm supposed to do in this life. Sin just peels me apart. And as sin peels me apart, I stink. (laughs) My sinful life stinks. And it makes me cry. My sinful life makes me and leaves me a pulled apart, peeled, crying, stinky mess. My sinful life is like a big rock in the ground that you're trying to move. And I am stubborn. And I'm not going to move. And you work with all your might to try to move me, but I don't want to. And I like where I am, and I like what I'm doing, and I'm going to stay here. And I'm going to make you work as hard as you can to try to get you to change me, but good luck. Leave me alone. Do you need more metaphors? <laughs> is, that, is that enough? That's enough. Thanks, Dave. But in, this, in the hands of a skilled road construction crew, a skilled road construction crew can smooth out a bumpy road. Given the right tools, the right amount of time, they can smooth out a road. You know what it's like to drive down that bumpy road and then you hit a brand new patch of asphalt? You know how good that feels, right? You just want to stay there and cruise along, right? So it is with Jesus. Jesus comes into this world, the son of sinners, for sinners, and offers to you to smooth out the rough edges of your life. In the hands of a skilled chef, A skilled chef can take a stinky, smelly, messy onion and turn it into something beautiful and sweet. So it is with Jesus, the son of sinners, for sinners, desires to take you, broken, sinful person, and turn you into something beautiful and sweet. In the the hands of a skilled craftsman with the right tools, a large stone can be excavated, and it can be changed and transformed by an artist into a masterpiece of a sculpture. So it is with Jesus, the son of sinners, for sinners, can humble you, and he can change you, and he can give you a new and beautiful life and purpose in his name. Pick your own metaphor for your own imperfect life. But that's exactly what your life is. It's not perfect. I don't, think, I don't think that I need to tell you that, that your life is not perfect. But if for some reason you're here tonight thinking that things are going pretty well and you've got things in good and decent order, or if you think that, that, that you can save yourself by thinking hard and changing your own life, or if, you, if you're here tonight and, and you just think there's nothing really even to be saved from, consider these words from the scriptures. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Or how about this one? For all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or finally, as some people were picking up rocks to throw at a woman that they caught sinning and they wanted her to die, Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. How about we just be honest with one another and come to grips with reality? I, Aaron Gerke, am a sinner. You are sinners. Can we be friends? Let's be friends. We're, we're in good company with one another. 
well, maybe not always so good. We're, we're sinners. We're, we're in a multitude of company with one another because as it was true with every person who stepped on the face of the earth before Jesus was sinners, so it's true that every single person who stepped on the face of this earth after Jesus has this thing in common, we are sinners. But it is for sinners that Jesus came. Jesus is, Jesus is the son of sinners in the midst of sinners for sinners. For sinners. This is what the name of Jesus actually literally means. It's built into his name. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. Right in the name of Jesus is his purpose for which he came into this world, to save you and to save me, rebellious, sinful people. And boy, do we need to hear this. I need to hear this. I, Aaron, regular guy, I need to hear this. I need to hear this because we cannot save ourselves. Contrary to popular belief, we cannot save ourselves. It's not possible. If you are one of those people who has the idea that it doesn't necessarily matter what you believe about Jesus— the real goal of life is that you just live as a good person and are really nice to people? If that's your framework by which you live, it doesn't matter what you say about Jesus, it just, just be a good person, live a good life, treat people well. If that's your framework, if that's your framework, then what you are saying is that you don't think you're so bad. You think you're actually not too far gone and that you can make yourself good enough in order to live a good enough life. And if that's your framework, if that's your mentality, then you're also saying that you don't need a Savior because you've got it all figured out. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't be nice to people and treat people well and live a good life, but I'm saying if you say, I, it doesn't matter what I believe about Jesus so long as I do this, then you're neglecting who Jesus actually is because who he is is God in the flesh who has come into this world for you to save you. If all that you want to do is simply be a good person, we call that salvation by works. Salvation by works, it means you think you can save yourself when Jesus actually came into this world to save us by grace. If all that you want to do, if it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus, just be a good person and live a good life. One of, one of a variety of things will happen to you. One, you will be incredibly burdened because you will keep failing at what you're trying to do. Two, what might happen is that you will be prideful. Because you will think that it's all about you. And if you think you're succeeding, you'll think you're pretty good. Or, finally, you will become disdainful. You will actually start to think less about other people. Because you'll think that you're trying to make yourself better and you'll think, what's wrong with those people? Again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't be a good person, don't help people, don't love people. But what I am encouraging you this night I am encouraging you this night to give your life into the hands of Jesus Christ because in the hands of Jesus Christ you have salvation as a gift by grace. This is who God is. He came for you. 
He came for you and he came for me, rebellious sinners. And in this God, in the flesh, there is new life. And in this new life, there is hope, real hope. And there's peace, true peace. There's purpose given, not achieved. There's light in the midst of dark. And there's life when it seems that all that surrounds you is death. This is what Jesus brings into our lives. And when Jesus brings this into our lives, he brings us out of the opposite kind of life. Because without Jesus, there is no hope. There is no peace. There is no, uh, there is no light. There is no life, only death. Without Jesus. So if you want to live your life in sin, if you want to live your life without Jesus, I think you know what you will get. But if you want what Jesus offers, simply surrender your life into his hands and it will all be given to you free of charge, free. It's that simple. When Jesus says to you, salvation has come, he means it. He means that you cannot save yourself. He saves you. He saves you from yourself. He saves you from your sin. He saves you from Satan. He saves you from hell. He saves you from eternal death. Jesus does. And how does he have the authority to do that? How can he do it? Because in that family tree of all of history, he's the only one who was without sin. The Apostle Paul says it like this, For our sake he made him to be sin, that's Jesus. He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was perfect and when God looks at us, he sees us through the lens of Jesus. The righteousness of Christ is given to us as a gift. Here's the deal. Jesus was really born into this world. Really. He was really born. It's not just written about in the Bible. History tells us of it. You don't just have to take my word for it. Go look it up. A guy by the name of Jesus was really born. And that Jesus really went to the cross, and he really died. It's not just the Bible that teaches us about this. History tells us. Go look it up. And that same Jesus who was killed rose from the dead three days later. His bones have yet to be found. History tells us of it. Go look it up. Go look it up. Jesus rose from the dead, and he did it all for you and for me, rebellious, rebellious sinners. So just consider this for a moment. If Jesus can rise from the dead, if he can rise from the dead, what can't he do? If the wages of sin is death, and he conquered death, then doesn't that mean that he conquered everything in our lives that leads up to death? And since this is true, here's what it means for you today. It means that Jesus has power over the things that seem to be powerful in your life. I'm not sure what seems to have power over your life right now, but I'm sure something feels like it, whether it be stress or worry or busyness, whether it be that you are dealing with a chronic health issue or a loved one is, whether it be coming to grips with life nearing its end, or whether you are actually grieving the death of a loved one. Jesus has 
power over all those things, and he's already claimed victory over all of them. Jesus stands central to all of history. All who came before and all who came after have this one thing in common. They are sinners. You are sinners. I am a sinner. Jesus is the son of sinners in the midst of sinners for the sake of sinners. And I tell you what, the more that I get to know Jesus, the more freedom that I receive when I am able to humble myself of myself and receive his free gift of love and life and forgiveness. Some people may say, if you give your life over to Jesus and you follow after him, that's going to be way constricting on you. Some people would say, you don't need that organized religion thing. You don't need to belong to a church. That's going to be too confining for you. You won't be able to find your true self there. I tell you what, maybe they're partially right. But in denying yourself, in denying yourself of yourself, you will find true freedom at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that teaches you not to deny yourself, right? You are taught to have what you want, when you want, how you want it, when you want it. Don't ever deny yourself. Jesus says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after me. And in doing so, I will tell you that there is a freedom of freedom that is not found anywhere else in the world. There is peace in Jesus Christ that's not of this world. There is hope that is true. There is light when it seems dark. There is healing for the sick, and there is life for the dead. Jesus stands at the center of history, the son of sinners in the midst of sinners, for sinners. He is central to everything, but I ask you tonight, is he central in your life, or is he just a nice idea? Is Jesus central to your life? If, if not, I encourage you to humble yourself of yourself, to give up, and to let Jesus be who he says he will be for you. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Jesus is here with you. Jesus is here for you, always and forever. Merry Christmas to you, my friends. In Jesus' name, amen.